All right, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to say, and I ask y'all, so do y'all believe what you just sang? Those were some amazing songs. Well, I'm getting ready to say some things to you today that are very difficult to say in this culture. And some of you are probably not going to like what I have to say, but I'm telling you because I love you and I'm telling you because it's God's Word. And it needs to be said, and I'm very concerned. Um, I've been doing a, a, a sermon series about submitting to God in all of our ways, and this particular submission is going to be difficult because it's very countercultural. But I want you to please listen and know that I'm trying to bring this to you, God's Word, with as much love and grace as I can this morning. So, let me make a confession. I've entered a sweepstakes that I want y'all to know about. I hesitate to tell you about it because you could win too. And I'm not making this up. I entered a sweepstakes this week. And it's called the Dream Giveaway. And it cost me $10 for five chances at this Dream Giveaway. Do y'all want to know what I'm trying to win? Okay. First thing is, is a 1965 Lingenfelter high-performance Corvette Stingray Resto Mod. Now, you may think you know what a 1965 Corvette Stingray, already a rare and amazing car, but this has been um, specifically, uh, it's called a resto mod, which they restored it, but they brought it up to uh, modern with the engine and the brakes and all that stuff uh, by this uh, company, high-performance engineering company called Lingenfelter. And it has 550 horsepower, and it looks amazing. But that's not all you win if you win this, this Dream Sweepstakes. You win that car. And you also win a 2018 Corvette Grand Sport that has also been high-performance engineered by Lingenfelter to a tune of 600 horsepower. So you win both of these Corvettes, and that's not all, folks. I'm not making this up. You also win $50,000 to pay the taxes for winning those two Corvettes. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? I really did enter it, and I hope you won't, because that just muddies the waters a little bit. But let's suppose for a minute that I win that sweepstakes, and I win both of these Corvettes. And let's say that I take the 1965 out to take a drive in it, and I make a decision that day that I'm going to go to a certain spot in Coweta County where I know there are a lot of mud boggers. And they get there on the weekends, and they drive their four-wheel drive Jeeps and all those kind of things through this rocky, muddy course that they go through. And I show up at that course with this 1965 Corvette Stingray. And people see me driving up, and they're like, oh, man, look at that. And then they go, what is that guy doing here? What is that guy doing here? And I pull up, and I rev my engine, and some people are shaking their heads, and some are cheering wildly, and I start racing the engine, and turning the wheels over a little bit, and people are kind of getting excited. But some people are going, what is this guy doing? That's an awesome car, but it was not created for this place or for what we're doing here. Others say nothing to me because they don't want to offend me. But after kind of feeling the crowd out, I start revving that engine up again, and I say, I want to go through the course. And the guy goes, all right. And I start going through the course. And I get stuck pretty quickly, as you can imagine. Even 550 horsepower just keeps going around and around and around in that mud. And I'm stuck. And I keep trying to get out. And many of the four-wheel drive owners are frustrated because I'm kind of creating a little chaos because they want to go through the course. But actually what happens is, is I've gone through this course that I've busted my oil pan. 
I've busted my radiator and the thing starts overheating and I have to ask one of these four-wheel drive people to pull me out. And so this guy comes in his Jeep and he hooks me up and he pulls me out and he pulls me over the side and I get out and he puts his arm around me and he says, Dude, I'm a motorhead. I've been a motorhead my whole life and I love your car, but I love my Jeep too. But I'm telling you, Chevrolet did not create this car to go through this course. And Lingenfelter did not do all these modifications on this car for you to take it through this rocky, muddy course. I'll be glad to let you drive my Jeep through this course, or I'll take you myself in my Jeep through this course, but that's not what this car was created for. That's crazy. And I say, that's just feel, that's what I want to do with my car. He's like, all right, man. So next week, I come back. And I come back with a 2018 Grand Sport because I've got an extra 50 horsepower. You only had 550, now I have 600. And I get there again, and people are going, oh my gosh, that's that guy again, isn't it? What is wrong with that guy? What does he not understand? But this time I have brought a bunch of people with me and they have signs and banners and they're cheering me on and they're saying to the people as I go to the start line and the guy goes, no, let's not do this again. He goes, this guy has a right to do whatever he wants with his car. Get out of his way. It's his right to do whatever he wants. Let him do it. And the guy backs off and goes, okay, let's do it. And the same guy that pulled me out the week before comes over and gets in my window and goes, dude, what did we talk about last week? Do you not understand that this is an amazing car? It's a rare car. It was designed for the street and the track, not for this. What are you doing? You say, I got this. Five minutes later, he has to bail me out, uh, pull me out again. Now, what would you think of my decisions and actions through that? Would you think that we need to get a petition going and go to GM and Lingenfelter and change their intentions and standards for their cars? Or maybe, just maybe, I need to change my actions. It seems pretty obvious what I need to do, isn't it? Now, I say all that to say, if I win those Corvettes, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but throughout history, there have been those who have ignored the Creator's intentions and His standards. I have, you have, we all have. Because they were undesirable. It's not what I want to do at this time in my life. And we've opted for our own standards and actions. Joshua in the Old Testament, as the people of Israelite, if you've heard this story, they're getting ready to go into the promised land that God's promised them. And it's been a tough 40-year journey. Lots of fighting. They're about to take over. But Joshua hears that there's some people that aren't willing to fully commit to God's standards as they take over this new land that they've been given. And he says this, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors that serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Some of y'all know that. Some of you have it in your house. He was the leader. And he's saying, I know what's going on here. There's some tension in saying, I don't know if I really want to follow God all the way through this. I want to do things my way. And he goes, I understand that. Some of this is undesirable. Because our minds are not like God's mind. But as for me and my house, I'm going to follow the Lord wholeheartedly as we pull forward. 
And in our culture today, submitting to God's plan or serving the Lord certainly appears to be undesirable to many. It threatens their choices. It threatens their ability to do what they want to do, what we want to do. And I would guess that if Joshua came in our culture today, he goes, it's no different. And I would say the same thing to you as I said to those people way back there in Israel. The Lord's ways may seem undesirable to you. And you may want to go with the, the desires and the um, instruction of your culture and what your friends are saying and what people who seem to know more are saying. But I'm telling you, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And he says, you know what? Just like it ended up being an empty way of life, doing it on your own, and, and serving the gods of the presence, those gods that are deceiving you and leading you into a broken and empty future, that's where you're going to end up if you forsake the Lord's commands. So in the last few weeks, we've been looking at some different people, and we've been talking about submission to God sometimes feels impossible. And we looked at Moses, where it seemed impossible for him to be a leader, for him to go back to a place where he had left, and he was really a fugitive. But ultimately, he said, I don't understand this. It's not really desirable for me, Lord, but I'm going to trust you. And God did something in his life, and Moses was never the same, and God used him in a powerful way. We looked at David, and David knew that God had told him he was going to be the new king, but it was a long time before he became the king. And he went through all these struggles, and he wondered sometime if this was ever going to happen. And he had the opportunity to kill the present king before he became king, and twice, at least twice, he had this opportunity, but he did not submit to that temptation. And he backed off and said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he submitted to God's plan and God's timing. And then the last time we got a chance to be together and, and talk about this, we talked about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he goes, why do you call me good? No one's good except God. You know the commandments. And he says, hey, I've obeyed all those since I was a boy. And he says, well, you just lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the Gospels tell us that he walked away sad because he was not willing to submit to what God what Jesus had called him to do. So this week I want us to look at a culture that the Apostle Paul in the first century found himself in. Paul is trying to get this culture to see and to embrace this whole concept of submitting your life to Jesus and allowing him to transform it. It had happened to him. And y'all know, if you know, if you've read anything about the Apostle Paul who wrote almost the entire New Testament, he went in to following and submitting to God, kicking and screaming. He thought he could do it all on his own, by himself, by his legalism, by being perfect. And he was deceiving himself and he was deceiving other people. But when he had his transforming conversion experience, he was never the same. And he was all in and he spent the rest of his life telling and sharing the hope and the power of the gospel message of Jesus Christ to anybody that would listen. But the reality is, is the message of the gospel is bad news before it's good news, isn't it? Now think about that for a minute. The bad news is that we're separated from God, our Creator, our Savior, Savior, because of our willful refusal to submit to God's plan for our life. And that is called sin. Not according to me, but according to God. That's called sin. And we don't like to hear that. I don't like to be told that I'm sinning. I don't like to be told that I'm wrong. I don't like to be told that I didn't win. There's just something about us in, in, as humans that we don't want to hear that. 
But it is true. And so it became bad news. And that sin, that good news, that sin separated us from God. But the good news of the gospel is this, is that God became flesh and He came to earth to deal with that sin. And He came as one of us and says, I'm going to show you how to live and submit to God in the flesh like you're supposed to. Because we've been watching history unfold and nobody really understands how to do that. So Jesus is going to show that. And He showed us how God's plan looked and how to submit to it. But the worst and best part of that plan was is that as a part of that, Jesus had to submit to this horrific death on the cross. But that was the only way that you and I and all of humanity could be cleansed from our sins and that we could be resurrected from the power of death. And he did all of that so that he could forgive us and restore our relationship with God forever. And part of accepting that gift of salvation involves leaving our old life behind. A life of sin where we say, I'm going to do it my way, but we leave that behind and we submit to God's way going forward. And when we refuse to repent of our sinful way of life, we cannot submit to God's plan and we refuse the grace of salvation. Because it is grace. We're basically saying, I know better. I can obtain salvation another way through my own good works or apart from God's plan. I can do it on my own. And I don't need to repent for my way of life. It's fine. Thank you very much. And God created us with this gift called free will. And having that gift of choice shows that the only way to experience true love is through the gift of free will. It can't be forced or manipulated. If I get my kid in a headlock every night and say, Do you love me? Say you love daddy. And I start giving them a noogie. They're eventually going to say, Okay, I love you, daddy. That is not love. They are submitting in a way to my, out of fear, but they're not really submitting. And they're not really authentically loving me because it was manipulated and forced. And authentic love and relationship is what God desires for us. And He has offered us and He won't force it on us. We have to choose. So one of the hot topics in Paul's culture of Corinth, I don't know if you've ever heard anything about the, the city of Corinth in that time in the first century, but man, it was crazy. You've heard about people talk about Las Vegas. What stays in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas, right? You've heard that? They didn't care. They did all that stuff and talked about it and bragged about it. It went on all the time. And this is the culture that Paul went into saying, I'm taking the transforming gospel message of Christ to these people, and they need to hear the truth. And one of the hot topics in that culture was sexuality. And some 2,000 years later, it still is. And it's an issue that is hot as far as the topic, because it's so personal, it's so private, it's so intimate, and it affects us in so many ways as humans is that we really don't quite understand. But at the core of this is a choice to recognize sexuality and marriage as a specific creation of God the Creator and the Savior. Or we make a choice to make it whatever we decide we want it to be, for me personally or for you personally. And again, that wonderful and horrible thing called free will creates this tension and a defining choice for us about what we're going to do with sexuality and marriage. But I want you to listen to what Paul says to the folks at the church in Corinth. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
verses 9 through 20. And this is a letter Paul is saying, I love you guys. I've brought you the transforming gospel message of Christ, but there's still these old ways are all in your culture around you, and you've got to know the truth about these. Listen to what he says. It's going to be up on the screen. Paul says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Do y'all, as y'all heard that list, I'm pausing for a minute, it wasn't just about sexual sins, was it? But they're in there. It's a whole list of what we need to turn from, what they need to turn from. And this is what Paul says to continue. And that's what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that He who unites Himself with a prostitute is one with her in her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh." But whoever is united with the Lord is one with Him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That is God's word today you've heard. I didn't make that up. I didn't write that. I'm reading from over 2,000 years ago what he said to a group of people just like me and you. Different place, different time in history. But he's telling us what the truth is. And all those songs, y'all, that we just sang about how great God is and, and you are good, you are good, you are good. If we really believe that, it requires something of our actions and our commitment. Not just our voices, doesn't it? And that's where it gets difficult. I believe there are three cultures in relation to absolutes and morality in life. And I I stole this from Ravi Zacharias. But listen, if you don't know who Ravi Zacharias is, an amazing apologist. But he says this, he says there's a theonomous culture. One in which is governed by God. That means that we believe there is a God and that because He created this world and He created us as humans, He put in our hearts and our minds and our souls a morality to know between what is right and what is wrong. It's just ingrained in us. Like, when you say, what should be the rules? We say, well, you shouldn't kill people. Uh, You shouldn't steal from uh, other people's things that aren't yours. You shouldn't be dishonest with people. And as we go through history and culture, and we look at all the other um, cultures in history, almost all of them, when you get down to it, and you say, they almost all had some sort of a form of the Ten Commandments which tells us that ingrained in them is this knowledge that there's got to be somebody that created me and has put this morality inside of me. And our culture, 
This United States was built on that kind of culture. We believe that there are certain unalienable rights that God has given to us. Right? You know the Constitution, all that? And we believe, as you read all those documents, you know that obviously those people who put those documents together said, we believe there's a God that created us and created in us to know what is right and wrong, and we're trying to set that up according to Him, not what we think, because we're going to blow it every time. That's what our culture was built on. But then there's a heteronymous culture. The mainstream of culture is dictated by the leadership at the top, and they dictate what goes on below to everybody else. You ever heard of Marxism? That's exactly. And Marxism, if you will be honest and look throughout history, that's worked really well, hasn't it? More genocide, more human life has been murdered by that type of government and thought than any other in the world. It's also in the Islamic nation. That kind of culture. At the top, they tell you what you can and can't do. That's who's saying what morality is. And I'm not so sure how well that's worked throughout the world either. And then there's the culture that we're becoming. I believe we started as a synonymous culture where there is that we believe there's a God and we get those morality from Him. But we've become an autonomous culture where self-law, each person determines their own moral prerogative. That's what we're becoming. I have the right. You don't have the right to tell me what I can and can't do. I get to decide that. But think about that when you go through that whole process, y'all. If we're all going to say, I can do whatever I want, and some of you right now may like that, and you go, that's right, that's what I believe. I ain't going to say it, but that's what I believe. I ain't going to say it out loud, but that's exactly what I believe. This guy's crazy. He's trying to force everybody into the anonymous stuff. He can't do that. He doesn't have the right to do that. And as soon as you say that, guess what you're doing? You're becoming heteronymous. You're saying, I can dictate for you what your morality is, but I'm going to choose my own. Wait a minute. If you're going to choose that, that means everybody can think about how and live however they want. If you're truly an autonomous culture. But guess what, y'all? That truly autonomous culture does not work. It's chaos. There has to be a moral standard. Autonomous cultures, therefore, tend to run into a conflict where everyone has their autonomy, that is the sociological issue that we're talking about. Now, Robbie Zacharias had a lady come up to him. He speaks all over the world at college universities and, and debates with people, but he's one of the most kind, thoughtful, and grace-filled debaters I've ever heard in my life. He never tries to make someone look bad, never tries to embarrass anybody. He just tries to bring the truth and grace and love better than anyone I've ever heard in my life. Amazing guy. So after one of his uh, debates or, or one of his uh, uh, opportunities to speak at a college, a lady who was only going to stay for a few minutes and stayed the whole two hours said, I want to ask you a question afterwards. And he was walking back to his place and she was walking with him. He says, go ahead. She says, Christians are generally against racism. But when it comes to the homosexual, they discriminate against them. How do you explain that, Robbie? And he says, I think it interesting that the first part of your question is an idea, racism. While the second part of, you, of your question, you particularize it with an individual, a homosexual. That's interesting. You can kind of think about that for a minute. But he says, well, let me try to answer that question. The reason why we Christians believe that the discrimination 
um, racially and ethnically is wrong is because the race and ethnicity of a person is sacred. You do not violate a person's ethnicity and race. It is a sacred gift from God. And the reason we believe in an absolute when it comes to sexuality is that we believe sexuality is also a sacred gift from God. And he said to her, Would you help me understand why you treat race as sacred but not sexuality. And she says, I've never thought of it like that before. And he went on to say this, marriage as God has given it to us is the most sacred relationship that you can enter. Now think about this for a minute. In the English language, we have one word for love, right? And y'all have heard this before. But when I say, I love my wife, Melanie, y'all know that's a type of love. When I say, I love my coworker, Isaiah, you know that's a different kind of love, right? When I say, I love my mom's sweet potato casserole with the mushrooms on top this week, you know that's a different kind of love that I'm talking about, right? We understand that, but we only have one love in the English language, you know? But in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written, they understood in this culture there's different types of words for the different types of love that we experience. There was agape, God's amazing, unconditional love. There's eros, which is romantic or erotic type love. We understand what that is. Phileo, friendship love. We know how strong love can be between friends. And a storge love, which is a parental or a protective love. And as a parent, we understand what that kind of love is. And so these people are listening to that. But do you realize, Robbie said this, and this is amazing. Do you realize that marriage is the only relationship that pulls all four of those loves together? Think about that for a minute. God created it that way, y'all. And when you decide that you want to take agape love out of that, God's love, a powerful love, guess what it does to the rest of those loves? They become redefined. And to us, the Bible gives the sacredness of marriage as Christ is to the church. The bridegroom to the bride, the church and Christ together. And the consummate relationship between a man and a woman is shown in the singular commitment of the marital vow, I do and I will. How many of you made those in your marriage? I do and I will. Okay, don't be ashamed. Goodness gracious, y'all. All right. Now, a couple weeks ago, I got to go to um, our children's minister, Taylor, and our uh, audiovisual man back there, Max's wedding. It was a great wedding. But at some point in that wedding, guess what? I heard them make vows, and they said, I do and I will. And when Max said to Taylor, I do, he was saying, I don't to all the others. And when he says, I'm committed to you and I will be committed to you, he was saying to all the others, I will not be committed to you. And when Taylor said to Mac, I do, she was saying, I do to you and nobody else. And I will to you and nobody else. Does that know what that means? And they made that commitment in front of a, a, a lot of people. And they made that, more importantly, that covenant commitment to each other and to God. That's sacred, y'all. That is what God created it to be. And any departure from that beauty and the sacredness of the four loves, which is a biblical notion of what it really means to be married, it's not right and it's not acceptable in the eyes of God. That's what His Word says. Because God created sexuality and He created marriage for the procreation of more of us. 
And for the fulfillment and design for one man. This is God's design, y'all. Listen carefully. One man and one woman forever. That's God's design. You don't have to like that. You don't have to agree with that. But that's what His Word says clearly. But in our culture and in Paul's culture, there were and are many who try to make sexuality and marriage what they want it to be. And whatever any person wants it to be. And guess what, y'all? It caused major, major problems in the Roman Empire. And what happened to the Roman Empire? It fell, if you haven't read about that yet. And when you look into the history of that, you will see that the rampant sexuality that was going on within the leadership was unbelievable. I'm not saying that's the only reason that empire fell. But when you think about how many years old Rome was and how many years old we are, I get a little nervous sometimes. And some will say today, there you go. See, what you're doing, Craig, is you're doing exactly what you just said you shouldn't do. You just said that we shouldn't try to force our thing on somebody else. You're not being autonomous. But I never said that we should be autonomous. I said we should be theonomous. I'm not taking anyone's choice away. I'm not taking anyone's decision away. I don't don't have that power. Never have, never will. And I don't want to have that. Neither did Paul, but God's word was and is clear on this. He said, you're you're trying to violate people's choices and their rights. No, I'm not. The only thing that's getting violated when you take God's gift and abuse it is you're violating the sacredness of God's gift. That's what's happening there. And I don't, I can do whatever I want. What did Paul say? Yeah, you're right. You can do, you have the right to do whatever you want, but not everything is beneficial. There are consequences down the line. Paul makes this clear, but he doesn't make it the focus of submission to one sin. Did you hear his list? Did anybody get convicted of any of those other things in there? I did. There was a lot of them that we do. And when it comes to sexuality, it does not matter what prefix we put in front of sexuality. Heterosexuality outside of marriage is wrong, y'all. It doesn't matter if it's going on in dorm rooms, in colleges, and we laugh at that and go, oh, that's just boys will be boys, girls will be girls. That's, that's treating God's gift, that's desacralizing it. That's what that's doing, and that's wrong. And if you put homo in front of that, if you put bi in front of that, whatever the action is, that is going against what God has given us in that gift. And it's not, a, it's not the thought or the feeling. And I want you all to hear me really carefully on this. If you have thoughts about those things, if you have feelings about those things that you can't control, that is not wrong. That is not what Paul's condemning. That's not what God is condemning. But when you take those feelings and those thoughts and you turn them into actions willfully, that is when it becomes sin. And I can take one of those sins from that list and I can say, I don't like that. I don't like that it's on the list, God. I don't agree with that. Let me pick one. Let me just pick greed, okay? Do you all agree greed is a sin? Mm, that's pretty weak. It depends. And that's, that's good. That makes the illustration even better. So I'm going to pick greed. But I feel greed, not just crazy greed, like you got greedy for everything, like I'm going to be on Thursday with my plate. But just a little bit of greed. Like when I go shopping on Black Friday. Just a little bit. So I'm going to put a prefix in front of greed. And I'm going to call it sort of. Sort of greed. Sort of greed. And you know what? I'm going to say that because I feel that way and I believe that way, you need to affirm that. 
You need to embrace that because that is my thing and that's how I'm going to define myself and you must accept me, accept me as a sort of greed. That's what you must do. Does that sound like submitting to the God that we just sang about that is good, good, you are good? No, it sounds like it's all about me. The message of the gospel starts with grace and forgiveness. And hear me say that we all need grace and forgiveness for our sins. All of us. We don't need to pick and choose out of that list. All of that list, Paul says, that's not, it. That's not when you practice those things and say it's okay, you are not becoming who God called you to be. We've all violated one or more of those things, Paul listed. And God's grace calls for acceptance of that grace and being a new person and being cleansed from that unrighteousness. But there is a part of that response, and it's called repentance at the very core of the gospel. And that means I move forward to a new way of life, and I put the old things, my old life, my old choices behind me, and I move to a new. The old is gone, the new is come, Paul says. I am a new creation in Christ, and that's a wonderful thing. I will leave my life a sin that I once submitted to. I will die to the way of life that says, I believe my feelings and my thoughts are greater than God's. I die to that. And I will humbly follow, not my way, not the world's way, but I will follow the way of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to submit to the gospel. And that's why we can sing those songs, y'all, and be excited and glad and close our eyes and wait, raise our hands because we go, we are free, truly free in submitting to God. Now, you may not agree with me in what I've said today, And as a follower of Christ, guess what? I do not have the right to judge you or condemn you. That's as big as a sin as any I've mentioned today. When I judge and condemn somebody for a sin that I don't like that they're doing. Would you all agree with that? Because I have been called, I have been commanded to love everybody. And violating that sacred command because I disagree with you or think that your sin is worse than mine or any of the others, that is wrong and I'm sinning. But like the guy in the story who pulled me out of the mud twice. I need to say to you, when I see you doing something that I know is harmful to you and maybe to the consequences to your life down the road, I hope like that guy, I will put my arm around you and I hope you will put your arm around me and say, I'm a sinner too, just like you. But please, don't keep doing what you're doing and taking the life and taking the plan that God has specifically for your life and choose to do those things that harm you and others and doing things that God never intended for you to do with your life. Please don't do that. Yes, you have the right to do whatever you want, but please don't do that because I love you and I don't want to see you get harmed. And you, you guys that are in middle school or high school or college today, I hope you're listening to this. And I'm speaking to my daughters. I know they're in here today. And I know what you hear at school from your friends. And I know what you hear when you're flipping through hour after hour. I know I complain about this a lot, y'all, but it's a problem. You're listening to people say, that's not that big of a deal. But guess what? Just like the people who watch me drive my car through that mud hole and go, what an idiot. Those same people are going, yeah, go, go, go. They're going, what an idiot. 
When it comes down, let me tell you what happened between the first and second service. I preached this first, the same sermon, and a lady comes up to me afterwards. You know what she said, y'all? She says, I almost couldn't stay in there and listen to that. And you want to know why? Because my son died of AIDS. I'm not making this up. And at that point, I'm going, God, should I preach that sermon? See, Satan was trying to say to me, no, you shouldn't have done that. See, you got somebody upset. And she goes, give me a hug. Not making that up, y'all. I'm just telling you what happened. God gives us, He gives us the most sacred gift of the prerogative of choice. But God does not give us the privilege of determining the different outcome from that choice. Did you hear that? You have the choice, but there's not going to be a different outcome just because you think there will be or because somebody told you there will be. God is the creator. He is who he is. So please don't use that choice to violate God's gift to you. Please hear that. So this morning, what part of your life do you need to submit to God today? Maybe you're going, I don't have a problem with all that sexual stuff, Greg. Good Lord, get over it. Happy married man. Happy married lady. But I know it's a problem. And it's something you have to know the truth about. And I hope you'll hear it loud and clear today. The good news of the gospel is that regardless of what that sin is in your life that you need to submit to, Jesus offers you forgiveness and grace through his death. That's why he died. And his resurrection offers you eternal life. If that sin will not separate you from God. If you hear me saying that any sin separates you from God today, you're not listening. No sin. Paul said to the Romans, the same group of people in the first century, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. And I died so that you could have that. And the Holy Spirit offers you power to overcome those things you may be thinking and feeling that are wrong. He will help you with that. I promise you He will. The choice is ours to accept and repent or continue down a road that eventually will bog you down and leave you stuck. And that's not what God created us for at all. So instead of, instead of changing the standard, maybe we need to think about changing our behavior. Think that might be something we need to do? And I can't answer that for you. You can't answer that for me. That's a personal thing. But we do need to submit to God's standard for this amazing gift and allow it to be what God created us to be and allow it to make us who he created us to be. So this morning I'm going to offer an invitation. It's probably an awkward time to offer an invitation. But I hope that I've shared with you what I believe is absolutely the word of God this morning. Because I love you and I care about you. And we've got to do that. But if there's somebody here today that says, you know what, I need to submit to God. I do. I hear what you're saying. I hear what Paul's saying. I hear what these songs are saying, and I want to do that. We're going to offer that invitation. These guys are going to come up and, and sing a song. And if you need to make that decision today, while we, we're singing, I'll be right here on the front row, and you can come forward, and I'll try to walk you through that. And we're going to do that right before we take some time to, to have communion together. So let's stand and sing this. If you've got a decision, please come forward.